Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Uh, the team sung, sung this bridge of an incredible song as part of the set tonight, and it's called Rattle, and it's by Elevation Church. It has this great line in it, and it says this, Just ask the man who was thrown onto the bones of Elisha, is there anything he can't do? You know, meaning like if God, if your body can be, your dead body can be thrown on and touch the bones of Elisha and come back to life, then surely God can do anything, right? And so I want to talk to you from that text tonight, that passage of Scripture in 2 Kings. And my message is entitled, Expect a Miracle. Expect a Miracle. I want to encourage you to open your heart and open your mind. Expect to see in your everyday life, miracles of God outworking. It says this in 2 Kings 13, 20 to 21. Elisha then died and he was laid to rest. And Moabite bandits, they used to storm the land every spring. It was expected by the people. And during the springtime, while a group of men were out burying a man, they spied a gang of bandits approaching them. They became afraid. So they threw the dead man's body into Elisha's grave. As soon as the dead man's body touched the bones of Elisha, the dead man miraculously came back to life and stood up. Wow, what a day. <laughs> Come on, what a day. This, this dead man touches the bones of Elisha, bang, he's back to life. Right? He can, this is the God who can raise the dead. He can part the sea. He can calm a storm. He can turn night into day. He can cause food to, to literally rain down from heaven. When, when, the, when the Israelites were traveling through the desert, food would rain down from heaven each morning. They would pick it off the ground. This is the God of all possibility, of all miracles. And I want to encourage you, he's not finished with you yet. Hey, some of you, he hasn't even started hardly yet. Come on. He hasn't, he hasn't finished with you yet, you know. He brings the dead back to life. You know, dead dreams, he can revive them. He can revive them. You know, that business deal that looks dead and buried, God can revive that. He has the capacity if he wants to. He can revive anything that he wants to revive. That relationship that looks like it's beyond all hope, that relationship you've given up on, God has the power to restore it. Has the power, come on, to bring it back to life. Do you believe it? The backstory to this scripture is this. Elisha is this great prophet, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. And what I love about him is there's nothing particularly special about him. It says that he was pretty average, not an outgoing person, not flamboyant, not a great speaker, pretty average, right? And yet he does miracle after miracle after miracle as he keeps stepping out in faith in God. He's completely ordinary, yet when God comes upon him, he's extraordinary. He's trained by a prophet called Elijah. You know the Bible's true. Here's why. You would never, in the same passage, put two names that are so similar and so difficult to preach. Elijah and Elisha. If tonight I don't make a mistake, I'm truly anointed by God. Like... <laughs> This is why, you know, who would do this? If you were writing, if you were making this stuff up, you would not choose two names so similar. You would choose different names. Come on. So Elijah mentors Elisha. And this great prophet Elijah teaches Elisha to raise other prophets. I love that. 
when there's a responsibility on your life, it's about training and raising others firstly. Secondly, he teaches him to speak to kings. So literally, he speaks into the king and brings prophetic words. Sometimes there's a real challenge that the king doesn't like to hear. And through that, he actually speaks to an entire nation. So Elijah raises, raises up Elisha to do this. Now, Elisha, when he dies, he dies in this glorious way. It says that he actually never died. He just transitioned from earth straight to heaven. Pretty cool. It says that one day he was walking along with Elisha, and Elisha had been told by God that God was going to take Elijah. And so Elisha says to him, hey, well, Elisha actually said to, Elijah said to Elisha, hey, what would you like from me? And he said, hey, I want you to give me a double portion of your anointing. He goes, well, you're asking something serious here. And he, go, and he says, so let it be. And then bang, it says, a whirlwind starts. A chariot of fire appears in the sky, led by horses of fire. They come down, and then Elijah literally steps into eternity upon this chariot, and off he goes. I mean, pretty good way to go out, people. You know, you know. and so he never actually tastes death. He literally just transitions from this life into eternity. Now, here's what that says to us. It talks about that you and I, for those who place faith in Jesus, that actually you'll never taste death. Now you might go through an experience of death. Elijah is unusual in the way he transitions, but your transition, although it may look as glamorous, it will be just as glorious. That actually you will go from this life and you will feel like death, but actually it's more like birth. You will be birthed into the fullness of who you are, what you're supposed to be. The world will be as it was meant to be, not how it's been corrupted by the sinfulness of humanity, and that we will be into this paradise. Come on, as God always intended it is for anyone who puts their faith. And so Elijah's transition speaks to something of that. But Elisha's, Elisha was nothing like Elijah. You know, Elijah was charismatic, natural leader. Uh, he could command an audience, incredible communicator. Elisha was nothing like that. And yet he asked for and received this double portion of God's anointing and ended up doing far more things than Elijah. Incredible. These are some of the things Elisha did. He parted the Jordan River, spoken it parted. He caused an axe head to float. That's a pretty cool party trick. Caused an axe head to float, right? He healed the king's official Naaman who had leprosy. He multiplied food to feed a hundred people. This is just one of the 31 miracles he did in his life. And one of his more interesting miracles is he cursed some young boys who were making fun of him being bald, and two female bears burst out of the bushes and mauled them. Yeah, that's different. That's different. But Elisha, now here, and here's the deal there. Let me just say that. Let me just say this about that. The reason that happened to those boys was not because they were making fun of that prophet, but because actually they were mocking God. That's what that really was about. But that's a whole nother preach. We'll go there another day. But Elisha, when he dies, he dies in such contrast to Elijah. So Elisha gets sick and he has a wasting disease, tradition says. And so he takes a period of time to die where he's put into bed and he's unable to walk around and he slowly dies. But I was reading a commentary about it and it said this. His death was just as glorious as Elijah's. So check it. So Elijah goes on a chariot of fire right into eternity and Elisha wastes away in a bed and yet the text says, the commentary says, hey, he died just as gloriously as Elijah. Here's what it's saying. 
Elisha, right at the end of his life, he's wasting away, he's passing away. The king, who's a young king, comes to him. And he's, and he's in trouble because all of his army has been wiped out and an oppressing, uh, uh, dominating kingdom is just about to invade and take over the people of God. So he comes to Elisha and here's what Elisha does, which is so awesome. He tells him, hey, open up the window and he gets a bow and he gets an arrow and he fires an arrow through the window straight into the direction of an important city, a strategic city that they would need to defeat to defeat the enemy. And then he says to the king, hey, now you hold the bow. And you hold the arrow. And this young, nervous, inexperienced king fires some arrows through the window and he stops at the third arrow. And Elisha says to him, you should have kept going. You should have kept going. Or he's teaching him, hey, you've got to push on. You've got to persevere. You're, you're not pushing on enough. You're, you're holding back. Trust God more. He provokes him, stirs him. But here's what I love too is he gets him to fire the arrows. Elisha doesn't make a great declaration and then go to eternity. Elisha says, hi, I'm going to train and impart and help and leave you with faith that you might go on to lead God's people. So he has this very important strategic moment at the end of his life. But also, then he dies and he's buried. And then when his flesh is gone and his bones are just left, a body is tossed into the tomb and bang, that person comes back to life. Well, friend, that could have never happened if he jumped on a chariot and went to heaven because there would have been no bones left upon the earth, come on, for someone to be revived by. So here's what it's saying. It's saying that for the believer... The evidence of God in your life is not that always glorious, amazing things happen to you and that everything goes well. It is in contrast this, that in all circumstances, whether they appear good or bad, the grace of God is working. That even when you seem at your utmost, the grace of God is working. And even when you seem at your lowest, the grace of God is working. But here's what he's saying. You can always see the grace of God in a believer's life. There would have been people, I'm sure, saying, I don't know if Elisha's so anointed because now he's got sick. Hey, he healed that guy of leprosy, but he's not healing himself of this wasting disease. Interesting how people were like that. But here's the evidence of his life. God is using him right through his death, listen, and even after his death. Come on. So he, he dies of this illness. He's put into the grave. And, 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 and then it talks about how a man has died and his friends are going to bury him. Now, in that time, when they took their friend to bury him, they would have been going to an area where there was some rock cliffs, so maybe like Joondalup, old, the old quarry at Joondalup, if you've ever been there, something like that. They would have got a limestone cliff there. They would have carved out in the rock a tomb. They called it a sepulcher. There's a photo one, I think, that's going to come up on the screen. They would carve this out. They then would shape a stone to roll in front of it. They would place their friend in there, and that would often be used for the family. And so they went to carve one of these. But what happened was that as they're planning to do that, this raiding party starts coming. And they knew knew what was happening when they saw these bandits coming because every spring the Moabites would invade and they would have skirmishes where they would invade the land and take their crops and attack them. And so when they saw this happening, they kind of freaked out, 
panicked. They, these weren't people of great faith, right? These are people, they are panicking and stressing, and they just saw a tomb that had a, the rust stolen in front of them. They rolled it, they chucked their friend in. They had no idea that it was Elisha's tomb. But as they chucked their friend in, bang, his body hits it. Woof! He springs back to life. That was not the day they expected on many, on many you know, instances, right? But basically, that's what happened in this story. So the friends basically toss him in, and this miracle happens. I want to put to you that miracles are pure grace. They're pure grace. In this instance, no one deserved or earned this miracle. So important to get this. This man did nothing to earn it or deserve it. We don't even know his name. We don't know his name, where he was from, what he did. Was it Bob? Was he a carpenter? I don't know what he did, right? Nobody knows what he did. We know nothing about him. The only thing he did to warrant a miracle was die. That's all he contributed to it was he died. He did nothing except dying. You know, and he didn't even take himself to the bones of Elisha. Some other people carried his corpse and tossed it in there, you know? So this guy did nothing to earn this, nothing whatsoever. But the grace and the favour and the mercy of God is so powerful that he wants, God wants to invade your life and your circumstance with it. The most undeserving of people the grace of God is coming for. The grace of God is coming for. So maybe you're here tonight, you're thinking, I'm not a church person. I, don't, I can't look great and do, you know, be great like these people. You're in exactly the right place. You're exactly the type of person who God loves to call and touch and heal and change and hope, help. I love this. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but this beautiful treasure is contained in us. Cracked pots made of earth and clay so that the transcendent character of this power will be clearly seen as coming from God and listen, not from us. Not from us. Here's what it's saying. When the grace of God moves in your life and is moving, the favour of God is moving in your life, the, 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 the less you can take responsibility for it, the better. Because here's what it's saying. Hey, in spite of me, God's working. Hey, in my weakness, come on, he is strong, right? It's saying that, hey, in spite of me, this is God that is doing this. God's grace is upon us. It resides in frail and broken humanity. You know, Elijah was charismatic, Elisha is not. Yet the grace of God in a double portion rests upon him. Come on, come on. Elijah did 16 miracles in his life. Elisha did 31 and his 32nd that took him to a double portion was after he died. You know, come on, the grace of God. Maybe it is that the weaker and more ordinary are maybe perhaps the more humble and so receive a greater anointing. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 11 says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Come on. What's your qualification? I'm weak. What's your qualification? I haven't got enough in my own strength. That's the qualification for this grace and this favour and this miracle to be manifest. So believer, you need to be expecting favour to follow you. Favour to hunt you down, to track you down, to chase you down. Favour's chasing this dead man down and favour's chasing you down. Come on, do you believe it? Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait and hope for and expect the Lord to be brave and of good courage and let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for and hope for and expect the Lord. Friend, grace is coming for you. Favour is hunting you down. God's miracles are pure grace. 
Hey, you know too that salvation's waiting for you today. Salvation's waiting for you today. Elisha's name literally means God is salvation. It's the meaning of his name. God is salvation. And so God's salvation, it means this. It means protection from harm. It means deliverance from sin. It means forgiveness, right? And that salvation is chasing you and me down. It's waiting for you and me. You know, a relationship with God is waiting for you. If you're here today, you've never prayed a prayer. You've never invited God into your life. I want to encourage you. Salvation is right here. It's right now. It's waiting for you. God is not withholding it. He's not restraining it. It's actually dependent upon you saying, hey, I'm weak enough to need it. Hey, I'm humble enough to receive it. Come on. God intends, wants to bring good into your life. He wants you to be assured that when you die, you'll go to heaven. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of God's grace that's extended to you. Just like this man, the only requirement for that miracle of salvation to happen in your life is you're needing it. All that it requires is for you to say, I need it. At the end of every service, we say to people, hey, on the count of three, raise your hand if you want to make a decision to invite Jesus into your life. What we're saying is, hey, just put your hand up if you need this. Hey, put your hand up if you need God. Put your hand up if you need this grace and this salvation we're talking about. In every service, humble people raise their hand and say, yeah, me. Yeah, include me. And the grace of God comes and invades those lives. It's incredible. It's powerful. It's profound. Relationship with God that brings love, grace, and mercy into your life. It's literally just a prayer away. It's right here. It's right here in this atmosphere. It's here. It's incredible. It's incredible. But you know what happens As God draws near as he is to people right now, as he speaks to you and draws you, another voice speaks too. The voice of the enemy speaks. You know, and it often will speak with fear. Hey, people might see, what's my friend going to think who invited me? Oh, I came with my partner. I don't know if they're as into it as I am. I'm not sure. I might do it next week. All those kind of thoughts start invading your mind. But God's saying, come, come, come. Today's the day. Now's the time. Don't block yourself from God. You know, sometimes people will say, oh, my auntie said this to me. Oh, my granddaddy was a hardcore atheist and he said this. And people cling on to that. Friend, let go of it. Open your heart. Open up to God and see what will happen. See what will happen. It's just a prayer away. He's right here. Salvation is waiting for you today. Another really cool thing about Elisha is he's used after his death. So his life has an impact long after he's gone. And I love it because Pastor Jared preaches on this all the time. This is one of the, you know, one of the key things that Pastor Jared has imparted into my life and into many people's lives. He said, hey, when we make a decision in our life to draw the line, say how I'm standing up, I'm going for God, actually we draw a line for our family history. You know, that from our history, iniquity has been passed to us. But when we step up and say, man, it stops with me. I'm going all in for Jesus. I'm surrendering to God that from our children, our children's children, blessing flows. And so we have all kinds of things that have been passed to us generationally. All kinds of things that have been passed down from us. And if we just go along blase, we'll just pass that to our kids and they'll pass it to their kids. You know, so my family, addiction just runs through the family. Alcoholism addiction just runs through the family, you know, and it can't run to me. You know, but by the grace of God, I made a decision to surrender to Jesus. He broke into my life, broke that off of my life, and he's continuing to break it off my life, right? And I'm able now to put my children into a much better position, a much better position than I was afforded. Why? Because of the grace and the mercy of God. And so our lives can speak long after we're gone. 
long after we're gone. Psalm 145 verse 4 says, One generation after another will celebrate your great works. They will pass on the story of your powerful acts to their children. Friend, what is it that's being passed down through your family that God's saying to you, hey, would you surrender that to me that I might take that and break that, that you might walk into freedom? And I want to encourage you, when I say that, I'm not saying it as a light thing. I think God can do it in an instant, but he often doesn't. Usually it's a journey of surrender. It's a journey of obedience. It's a journey of transformation. You don't get healed usually in a second. Often it's through a process. You know, God can do it in a second. Sometimes he does. But usually the norm is a journey. Two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. And so I want to encourage you. You up for that? You saying, yeah, God, use me, work through me that my life may impact the generations. Come on. Come on. Is this speaking to somebody tonight? One of my favourite authors is Joyce Meyer and she says that the legacy she wants her life to leave is a legacy of books that she's written, she's an incredible writer. She just pumps out books, it's insane. And the reason she does that is she knows that she's reading books written by people hundreds of years ago that have impacted and shaped her faith. So she wants to leave a deposit of books that she might impact generations for hundreds of years to come. Love that, love that. But what is it that God wants you to leave? Maybe there's a book in you. Or maybe there's a song in you. Maybe there's a song in you that's going, to be, that's going to be recorded, right? That's going to impact generations for God, you know? Or maybe there's a foundational resource that you're going to create. Or maybe, maybe it's something in, in the area of government or governance. You're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to be the person who brings that concept to life. You know, maybe it's going to be a paper that you write at university. Maybe it's going to be a medical breakthrough that you're part of discovering, you know. Or it could be a political thing or an academic thing. What is it that God wants you to birth? And I know when I'm saying this, there's people and it's touching you. Things are touching you. Things are touching you as I say that. Because God's created in people this incredible capacity to leave something that lives beyond just us, but lives and speaks and helps generations. My daughter, one of my daughters has dyslexia, and um, in an effort to help her with that, we decided to homeschool her. When I say we, I really mean Leah, because Leah does the homeschooling, and I come here every day. But basically, Leah researched, and she found this great resource that's, that really helps kids with dyslexia learn to read and write. And it's by this lady called Keita Cowlin, who is this UK school teacher, who just got really um, passionate about kids that she just couldn't teach. She just got passionate about kids who in the regular system just couldn't get it. And so she was passionate about it. So she created this curriculum, you know, and she wrote it. And now people all around the world are using it. And it's certainly helping us. And here's the deal. She's not here anymore. She's, she's dead, right? But her life still speaks. Her legacy still speaks. What is it that God wants to speak from your life into the generations to come? And finally, I want to finish on this. It would be great as the band comes. I want to finish on this. God's grace, it's bigger than your lack of faith. God's grace is bigger than your lack of faith. Some will say to you, you need faith to see a miracle. And certainly there's a lot in the Bible about stirring up faith. So I'm not decrying that. But some people will say, you need to have faith to see a miracle. Or you didn't see a miracle because of your lack of faith. How about that one? People love to quote that. But the reality is this. Ask the question, who had faith in this story? Who had faith? 
Was it the dead man? Did he have faith? Well, no, he was dead, right? Was it his terrified friends who panicked at the sight of marauding bandits, opened the first tomb they had and chucked their friend's corpse in there and ran? Well, they didn't have a lot of faith, it doesn't seem. Was it Elisha? No, it was Elisha's faith. Hang on a minute. Elisha's spirit was long gone. This was a bunch of dead bones. Who had faith? No one had faith. No one had faith. This is grace. Come on, this is grace. This is the favour and the grace of God that's pouring out into your life and my life if we'll open up to it. It's the pray, it's the grace of God. It's the favour of God. It's nothing to do with the faith of man. It's the grace and the mercy and the love of God. No one in this circumstance had faith. No one had faith. Come on, you're going to stand with me. We're going to sing right now. Let's celebrate. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.